When Les got Kachati was in high school in Buffalo, New York, some friends invited him to Education Week at BYU. So yeah, I'm down to go to road trip to go to BYU's Education Week. Little did he know just how much that week would change his life. I remember the first thing I saw when I came to Education Week was coming to learn, go forth to serve. That really clicked with me. It's music to my ear, and I heard that. <laughs> so on the way back to Buffalo, we were I literally, in the car, I looked at my friends like, did, did you guys feel that? <laughs> like, hey, something warm, something peaceful. Yeah, you know, this, this is really nice. They looked at me. That was the spirit. I was like, oh, okay. So how do I join your church? <laughs> Welcome to the Y Magazine podcast, bringing you ideas, stories, and voices from Brigham Young University. My name is Whitney Archibald, and today we're talking to Lesga Kachati, a current BYU student in international relations, about his journey from novice monk to missionary, from refugee to one of the few BYU undergrads to teach a 300-level class. Here to help Kachati tell his story is Coleman Numbers, a student intern at Y Magazine who first met Kachati on their mission in Kentucky and then became his roommate when they returned to BYU. Kachati, I want to learn more about your personal story, how you uh, went from a refugee camp in Thailand to Buffalo, New York, and eventually ended up at BYU. But first, tell us a little bit about the history of your people, broad strokes. Yeah, for sure. The Karen people, we call ourselves Kenya or Plung in, in a different dialect. We live in Southeast Asia uh, in a country called Burma or Myanmar, the southern part of it mostly. We've lived there for thousands of years. And the Karen people are very simple. We live in the, in the plains and in, in, the, in the mountains, right, in the hills. We're called the hill people sometimes. Um, after 1948, after the independence from Great Britain, the Burmese started, started killing uh, the Karen people, plundering our villages and just committing crimes against humanity, just all kinds of atrocities that you can imagine. But essentially, they, they want us off the map. As a response, we declared war uh, to succeed from the Union. Our goal is to be free, to be yeah. self-autonomous, and to have a country of our own. And we call that Kothule, which means the land that is without evil. So yeah, that, that's the conflict. My dad was involved in that uh, when he was like 12. Wow. He became uh, a child soldier, right? Yeah. But he had to defend his homeland. He never had a childhood, right? He probably grew up thinking that was normal. Yeah. But that's all he knew. And but for me, like I grew up in the States. I mean, yeah, I, I was born in, in the refugee camps, you know, in, in Thai refugee camp. And I thought that was normal. Mm. I didn't know that that life was hard or peculiar in the sense that it's sad until I came to the States and I have something better to compare it to. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to wrap your minds around that something like that exists out there, like a war. That's really a fascinating perspective. Um, well, tell me a little bit about you know growing up in Thailand. What are some early vivid memories you have of your childhood? You know, my, my favorite memory of Thailand when I was there, I was just running in the rain. Like when the rain, the monsoon season, the rain came, you're just running. There's rain and there's mud. Just, you know, I'm just a kid, right? Like I don't understand anything that's really going on. Right? My parents are the one. Uh, struggling to make ends meet to, yeah. to find food for us and, and all that. I had no idea. Yeah, it, it took me a long time being here in the U.S. and thinking back and and having other people ask me what it was like. Right. That 
you know, then it made me think a little bit. But then it was that was my favorite memory, just being a kid, being there, just having fun. When did you move to the States? It was 2008. Moved to Buffalo, New York. That must have been quite the transition. It was. It was very different. That was my first time seeing snow. Wow. So it was, it was wild. It was really, really cold. Was that a difficult transition for your parents? I mean, the transition itself must have been difficult, but I think even the decision to come is even more difficult, right? I, my, my parents weren't on the same page at first. My dad was ready to go. He's like, let's get these kids some education. Mm. He heard about America. He heard about the uh, at least the, the, another country, right? the, the Western countries. He doesn't know what they are, where they are, but he knows that it's just better. So he's ready. But you got. when I think about my mom's reluctance to come, I think about if I were in their shoe, right? Like, let's say you ran away from war and now you're in this refugee camp. You may have lost family. And so these new friends that you met, now they're your family. You've lived with them for maybe a decade or two. And you're also sacrificing those relationships when you move out. Yeah. So that decision must, must have been hard. But the transitioning after that decision... I mean, as a kid, it was easy for me. But for my parents, now they're in a different country with a different language, with an actual legal system, <laughs> right? <laughs> so you enrolled in school. Um, obviously, a, a lot of what's brought you where you are is your, your involvement with the Church of Jesus Christ. And I, we're going to get to how you ended up running into the church, but I want to backtrack a little and ask about religion. When you were younger, when you were Growing up in Thailand, did you have a sense of connection to deity, to faith at all? What role did that play in your family? Yeah, so my family is actually Buddhist. Right? I was raised as a Buddhist. Um, I was actually a novice monk mm. in, in Thailand and once more in, in New York. But in terms of deity, I've always felt that there, there is deity, but I could never explain it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you, you came to Buffalo... How long was it before you uh, met members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? It was in high school, and it, it, they weren't even members then. My, oh. my two best friends, Mark and Jack, they were introduced to the church by one of our friends named Kumbi. Right? Kumbi. He was introduced to the church, and then they met at their elementary school. Kumbi introduced the twins, Mark and Jack are twins, to the church. And then the twins introduced me to the church in, in the way of Boy Scouting, like Boy Scouts. I, I, was, I was really down. They got me sold when they said we were going camping. And they tried to get me to go to church, but I really refused for like two and a half years. I was not interested, right? But I did spend a lot of time with these guys. Hmm. And I did know that these, these saints in Buffalo, they, they believe what they preach and, and they are living what, they, what they're preaching. That's what I, you know, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give them that. Hmm. And then later down the line, when it came time for deciding which college to go to, all the young men leaders went to BYU. So, mm. so they introduced me to BYU, went to Education Week. Oh. So interestingly, my first time going to a church to a ward on Sunday was actually in Colorado. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Colorado. It's like miles away yeah. from where they, they introduced me about the church. So that was on the way to Education Week? Yeah, it was on the way to Education Week. So what got you to Education Week? It's just college. All the men I respected at this point are all members of the church. Right. And they all went to BYU. That was the one thing common in the, 
Yeah, I saw how they treated their wives and how their families were treating each other. I didn't realize it was a gospel then. But I knew these men knew exactly where I needed to go if I wanted to become a little bit of what, what they have. Okay. Right. So I went along with it. So, yeah, I'm down to go to road trip to to go to BYU's Education Week. So, yeah, on the way, and we went to church because they weren't going to miss church, right? Right. To Sunday, <laughs> going to church. Like, well, yeah, they do. What I, at this point, I, I guess I got to go to what did you think of that first sacrament meeting? You know, I had no idea what was going on, um, but it was it was actually fast and testimony week, and this lady just bore her testimony. I have no idea what she said, but she was crying, and it actually made me curious, right? Like, how can one person feel this kind of emotional connection yeah. to to this level where tears are coming out of her eyes, and yet she has never seen God herself, right? Like, it didn't make sense to me, but I, that piqued my interest. Then I went to Education Week. It was Elder Holland, and he quoted from 2 Nephi 2.25, right? Adam felt that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. It's so such a, like, common one, too, right? Yeah. But for me, I never, I've never heard that. But when I heard it, I was like, that's facts right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I know a little bit of who Adam is and Eve is, but, but that statement... Somehow in my body, I knew that it was true. I received some kind of confirmation that that's, that that quote that he was saying was true. And so that opened my heart and my ears the rest of education week. So I took it very seriously and just like try to enjoy my time and be open about things. So I felt the spirit really strong. I learned to recognize that as a spirit now. So on the way back to Buffalo, we I literally, in the car, and I looked at my friend, I was like, did, did you guys feel that? <laughs> like, hey, something warm, something peaceful. You know, this is just really nice. They looked at me. That was the spirit. I was like, oh, okay. So how do I join your church? <laughs> I think about a month and a half later, I was baptized. So how long after you were baptized did you decide to go on a mission? Interestingly, the... The young men leaders are very good missionaries. They've all they always talk about their mission. So I've always been curious since my time as a young young man. So they would share special thoughts, and you know they they stick sometimes. But after I got baptized, it was about a year because you need to wait at least a year right. to go anyway. So I decided to come to BYU for two semesters, and I felt this immense pressure that there is a work waiting for me to do. I was originally called Spanish speaking. I was supposed to teach Hispanics in Kentucky. Hmm. So I learned Spanish in Mexico, came back and did that for like what, maybe two transfers. And then there's Quran people there. Yeah. And the rest of my mission was just that teaching Quran to the sisters and to my companion. He spoke zero Quran. Didn't know what that was. <laughs> he, he did not know what it was until the day he came to the mission home. Mission presence, like, hey. But that mission was everything to me. So I, one of the things that was as a bystander for me as a missionary in the same mission that was really significant was you performed the first baptism in the current language. I'm not sure I was like the very first person. Maybe I was. I don't know. Like, how do you know this thing, right? Right. But I was definitely the first one in Kentucky. In Kentucky. To, to baptize in, in the current language. It's the Lord's word. It was so new, so we required so many prayers, so many questions. How do we do this? And it was just a lot of 
relying on God. Mm-hmm. So you come back from your mission, mm-hmm. having spent almost all of it teaching your people the gospel, serving them there. What happened after that? You went to BYU, became my roommate. <laughs> yeah. I Instead of going home to New York, I decided if I could go to the Korean branch. Because like, I've, I've been teaching Korean this whole time on my mission, but there's no branch, right? It's like mm-hmm. just the American word, like a family word. I'm so curious now because yeah. of my mission to see people of the same faith of my ethnic identity. Mm-hmm. I'm just so excited to come see. So I came to the branch. And that's actually where I met my, my wife. She came, my homecoming talk. She definitely came for the food. Right. Because so we, 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 had, we had, we always have like food when things <laughs> like that happen, especially the current branch. And she came and, and we talked and yeah, she's, we're married now and we're, we're expecting a kid in, in December. Thanks. It's a boy. It's a boy. It's exciting. Oh man. So when did you have the idea or have the thought that you'd teach a class church and missionaries for the international rela- uh, relation major one of the requirements is you're supposed to learn a language to a 300 level and i'm like i already speak two dialects of Quran to mastery like i've translated i've taught other missionaries this language i don't want to take more classes right you know waste time so i wanted to get that waived but when i went to the to the program director he was like well, what are some proofs, some credentials that, you know, I can, mm. I can cross off? Like, do you have a certificate? Do you have this? Well, <laughs> not, not quite, yeah. right? Nobody's teaching Quran where you can go and pass it off anyway. So, but it was like, well, students have done this in the past, but if you can teach it, mm. you won't get credit for it, but we can leave it for you. Now, at this point, I was working with MTC, translating some church basic material with, with some friends for the Embark app. And so, I, and I think that helped be where you make that decision. And so, that began the journey of teaching the class, and it's the first of its kind, like in the Korean language at BYU. So, there were so many challenges. There was like many setbacks. I was making part. I felt like I was taking a a twelve credit class, <laughs> preparing for that class all oh, the man. time. What were, was the structure and kind of philosophy behind the class? So we started with all the cool and fun traditions, right? We started with like what marriages, uh, families, and all these great traditions. First time we talked about them, what they mean, and they were just loving it, right? Yeah. And then in the middle, we talked about colonization, so it got a little darker, right? And then at the very end, we talked about genocide. So the class ended in a, on a very dark note. But that's the reality. Right. That's the reality and the experience of my people. And so now they understand maybe a little bit, a little taste of what that might feel like. That loss. Yeah, that, 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 exactly, that sense of loss. Mm-hmm. And, and they already love the people from serving the mission, but I, I, I think the class helped them understand more about the people they already love, like what, what they're going through, maybe the traumas and the decisions that they have to make. Yeah, you know, what struck me interviewing some of your students is all of them, every single one of them seems deeply committed to that continuing service. You know, and I'm sure that other missionaries that serve in other parts of the world all over feel similarly, but there is something distinct about, I mean, just how far many of them have taken that feeling. I mean, they've done, like you were saying, translation work. They've spent hundreds of hours developing training curriculum. What do you think is motivating them and motivating you 
bottom line is charity. I think it's just love, love for the people. For those who have served missions, we know how much love we can have for strangers. Right? We will learn how to love strangers. And for a current mission, I think it's even more unique in the sense that you're usually in one area, your whole mission. Yeah. So you get really close to the people you teach. You really get to see their progression. You get really invested in their personal lives and their stories. So that when you hear about the genocide, it's not just a distant idea. You can put faces to it. Mm -hmm. So I think that level of like connection, it helps with motivating themselves to, to continue to serve. And I thoroughly believe like if, if you're called to serve, you're, you're called to serve those people, maybe for the rest of your lives. And so the class was a way to remind them of that, help them understand more deeply the people that they they had been able to serve. Yeah, I, I try to help them with language, right? I mean, that's, it's a language class. Yeah. But I really wanted them to understand the history, the context of the people that they're serving and try to have them discuss on what their ideas are, how, how we can help the people here, what are, what are some challenges that they're facing. Overall, how would you say BYU has changed your, your life mission? So being at BYU is amazing. Right? All these students... Inspire me to continue to serve. I want to serve with them. It's a community of ser servers. We want to serve. When you really think about it, that current class serves no purpose in terms of practicality for their career, respective careers. Yeah. What are you going to do with current? Nobody speaks it besides you know, a few refugees. Hmm. For career-wise, it's not like that great of an advantage to learn it. Right. But here, yeah, they give their time to learn, to understand. It's because they want to serve. So this community of service-minded people has really helped me want and mo want to and motivate me to continue to serve. How do you see yourself fulfilling your mission, knowing you have this, there's like a spiritual component, but you also have this strong sense of duty to your people? Doctrine and Covenants section 123, verse 12, says they're only kept from the truth because they, they don't know where to find, find them. them. That That is really serious, like not a warning, but like a statement, right? Because like, that's true for a lot of people, and especially true uh, among the Quran people. They have no idea who we are. There's a lot of misinformation in the Quran language about the church. Hmm. This is crazy to me. It's like, I barely find out what this church is about. <laughs> there's already anti-church material in my language. Like, that is crazy. driving me nuts. Like, in terms of continuing to serve, that doesn't like deter anything. And in fact, that just inspires me to to serve more, mm. right? Uh, the covenant is to bless the world, right? So let, let, let's bless them. Yeah. And that's all it is. I, I'm having joy by serving my people. I mean, you might not even have to introduce the gospel, but right. you just live it and they'll see. Just kind of like the Buffalo Saints. Right. They just live it and I saw. Okay. I like what I saw and I asked them how to, how to get that. And they led me to Christ. I, I think that's what it's going to look like for me, is just continuing to serve my people in any way I can. Thank you for listening to the Y Magazine podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends so we can grow. Special thanks to Coleman Numbers for conducting the interview and assisting with production on this episode. Coleman also wrote the article this episode was based on, called For Life, in the fall 2023 issue of Y Magazine. Additional production by me, Whitney Archibald, executive producer, Daniel Palmer, 
Original music plus mixing and mastering by Jarrett Davis.